You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. You can take a seat. Okay. So, let's, let's talk about formation. It's, it's something that we are all experiencing all the time. We're, we're, we're being shaped every single day. We're being formed by our environments, by the world around us. The reality is formation isn't actually a Christian thing. Formation's a human thing. But the question I want to ask you today is what's forming you? It may be followed up with a bit of an awkward question. When you look at your life and the person that you're becoming day after day after day, do you, do you, do you like the direction that you're headed? Because consciously or subconsciously, we are all being formed by, by the things that we, we watch, by the things, the voices that we're listening to, by the people that we surround ourselves with, by the habits we embrace day after day, whether good or bad. All these things are having a very formational effect on us. They're shaping us into a certain kind of people. And here's the challenge with that, is that most of the time we don't even recognize that it's happening. There are these forces that are play all around us that really do affect the kind of people we become. But we usually don't notice. It's just like, it's, it's like the air that we breathe or the water that we're swimming in. I'm sure you've heard this story of, of the two goldfish where one goldfish is swimming beside the other one and he looks over and says, hey, how's the water? And the other goldfish looks at him and says, what's water? <laughs> but I think an interesting question for us to think about is do goldfish see water? I don't think so. Goldfish see what's in the water, absolutely, but I don't think to that, that goldfish, and to be clear, I haven't done the proper research on this, but I don't think that goldfish see, see water, and yet it's there. It's their environment, universal but completely invisible. It shapes everything they do. It shapes everything that they see, but they're unaware of it. And I think that's kind of like living within a culture, or a society. There's all these different ideologies and, and, and these things that are being taught in the classrooms at our schools or in the, 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 overt- or the undertones of, of a Netflix series that we binge on the weekends or in the way that a news source presents the facts or on, on a billboard at H&M, all these different things. See, none of them are having a neutral effect on us. They're all shaping us, usually in small ways, not even noticeable ways at first. But they're just making these these micro-adjustments to the way that we view ourselves or to the the way that we view the world around us. And just just like a goldfish maybe doesn't see water, so often I don't think we see the impact that our culture is having on us. But I wonder, going back to the the question, what's forming us, 
Is it possible that many of us are being discipled by Netflix or being catechized by the algorithms of tech giants? I think in many cases, yes. And to be clear, I'm not anti-tech. I have an iPhone. I have a Netflix account. I'm preaching from a laptop right now. But I think it's important for us to take a moment and, and, and to, to recognize that living in the midst of a culture like ours doesn't have a neutral effect on us. The world is forming us. Technology is forming us, especially in the quantity that we're engaging with it. And every single day there is a war that's going on for our hearts and for our minds. I was reading uh, about a German pastor and theologian who lived and led a church back in, in the time of, of Nazi Germany. You may have heard of him before. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and Bonhoeffer, d- d- he had these, these discipleship training institutes in this church, and he was known to have really intense, robust discipleship methods. Like, he required lots of reading of scripture and the studying of theology and embracing spiritual disciplines and so on. And he had this seminary where he was training up pastors to lead the various churches all over the place. And, and for them, he even had a higher standard for those who were leading. And, and I guess one day someone came to, to Bonhoeffer and they said, why do you got to be so intense about this? Like, why does discipleship to Jesus have to be so rigorous? And I guess after pausing for a moment, Bonhoeffer pointed over to where Hitler was training his, his, his Nazi troops. And then he pointed over to them there at the church. And he said, this must be greater than that. This must be stronger than that. In other words, Bonhoeffer was understanding that, that if Christians were going to make it, if they were going to stand up against the persuasive ideologies of Hitler and the Nazi regime, if they were going to present this countercultural vision to the world around them, then it was actually going to take a lot of intentionality. And the forming that was happening in their churches and their discipleship training schools would have to have a much more robust effect than what was happening through Hitler's propaganda and campaigns. Now, I recognize we're not living in the midst of Nazi Germany, but I think that principle still applies. If we're going to build strong, resilient disciples of Jesus, if we're going to be formed into the image of Jesus rather than the image of the world, then it's going to require us to, to take this very seriously, to almost engage in like a counter-formation out of the ideologies and practices of the world and into Jesus' kingdom vision, being formed out of the world and into Jesus' image. But how does that happen? How do we be intentional about our formation? Well, let's look again at our teaching text in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 12, Paul the author writes this. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Okay, pause there for a moment. I, I really love the way that Paul kicks off this section of scripture. And I think it's, it's super important for us to get this as we start this conversation about formation. As God's chosen people, holy and deeply loved. That's the starting place for our discipleship. The starting place for our formation is knowing who we are in Christ, knowing where your identity actually lies. Like, how would you answer this question? If I were to ask you, who are you? What would you say? Like, maybe you talk about your job or your career. Maybe you talk about your marital status or your, your lack of marital status. Maybe you talk about your age or your ethnicity or your family of origin. And that's all part of who you are. Absolutely, but Paul says that, that, that even more important than any of that, if you, if you back up one layer, that your truest identity is found in the fact that you are dearly loved, you are chosen by God, that God made you on purpose with a purpose, 
that before you ever did anything for God, before you corrected any bad habit that you have, before you ever grew in gentleness and patience, before you saw any evidence of the fruit of the Spirit actually come alive in your life, God chose you and he loves you. The whole journey of Christian formation happens within that context of grace. See, because of the finished work of Jesus, we are beloved, adopted children of the Most High God. There is nothing that you can do to earn or deserve that love. And there's nothing that you can do to take away that love. It is just grace. You're deeply and profoundly loved right now, just as you are. And that is such an important starting place for our formation. Because if we just jump into what we can do in order to become like Jesus, without identifying who we are because of Jesus, then we can so easily drift off the path that leads to life and into the path of religion or legalism. The moment you remove the cross from your Christian life, you're toast. You're done. Our Christian formation starts with this understanding that we are chosen by God, that we are, we are deeply loved and everything good in our lives flows from that place. But do you believe that? Like, do you actually believe that you are loved? My answer? Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Like yesterday I had a super hard day. <laughs> And I was feeling super sad. I don't know if it was the, the season change or, or what was going on, but it was super hard. And I was working on this talk. And as I came to these words from Paul at the start of our teaching text, I got swept up in it again, remembering that my identity is not found in how good I do at being a dad, <laughs> that my identity isn't found in how great or not great this talk is this morning, but my identity is found in the fact that I am deeply and profoundly loved by God. Like, it's one thing to say that God loves people, that he loves the world, that he loves the cosmos. Like, I can kind of wrap my head around that idea. But he actually loves you individually, personally, on your best days and on your worst days. That's what we see in this, this text, that before we do anything, we are loved. That's grace. But let's keep moving. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, Paul seems to be saying that there's this necessary like putting off of our sinful nature of, of, and, and then clothing yourself in compassion and kindness and humility and all the rest. And I love this idea from Paul. Like, I, I love the idea of clothing ourselves in these wonderful virtues. But if you're anything like me, you might say, well, that sounds a lot easier said than done. Like, putting on the fruit of the Spirit is not the same as putting on a hoodie or a pair of jeans. It feels so much more complicated to, than that. Like, when, when I read that, that section of the text about clothing yourself in some of these virtues, I picture my 18-month-old uh, my daughter, Harper, and dressing her in the morning. If you're a parent, maybe you can relate to this. But Harper, sometimes it's like trying to, like, trying to get her dressed as she's squirming and flailing and slapping me and then making her arms limp so that she falls through. Um, that's kind of what it feels like. like. Sometimes I feel like with these virtues, it's like, that's what I feel like. It's like, I should be forgiving. I should be putting on forgiveness, but I really don't want to. And I feel like Harper in the way that I do that. And also living in the day and age that we live in, it's so easy to explain a way why we don't embody those kind of virtues. Like in the day and age of the personality test, 
be it Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or the Enneagram or whatever, it's so easy to explain away why I don't embody those fruit of the Spirit. Well, I'm just an Enneagram one. <laughs> That's why I have very little compassion. That's why I, I am this way or that. Or, or I, can, I bulldoze over people, but that's because I'm goal-driven. I'm an EFNJ, or I'm an Enneagram 3. But here's the thing. As we follow Jesus, our personality should be changing. As the Spirit works in our lives, we should over time become more patient with the people that are around us. We should see evidence of peace in our hearts. We should become this non-anxious presence. We should become more forgiving. We should become more compassionate, emotionally healthy as we shed our old self, as we take off the ways of the world and put on our new self in Jesus' image. See, the goal of the Christian life isn't just to get saved and then wait around for Jesus to come back or for us to die so we can go to heaven. It's so much bigger than that. The goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus, to be formed in his image, to be a people who live and who talk and who act and who play like Jesus. But then how does that happen? How do we clothe ourselves in the character of Jesus, as, as Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3? Well, well, to start, I, I just want to say it is a work of the Spirit. We begin to look like Jesus and take on his personality traits as we invite the Spirit to shape us and mold us into Jesus' image. That's where it starts when we invite the Spirit to do a work in our hearts and in our lives, but also, we are not passive in that equation. We're not just bystanders waiting around for the Holy Spirit to come and to make us holy. As we read earlier in Colossians, there's this active involvement from us of putting off our old nature and then putting on this new nature in Jesus. God actually expects us to be intentional with our own formation, to partner with the Spirit in the transformative work that he's doing in our lives. So then what does that look like? How do we partner with the Spirit? Well, I think our text gives us some really helpful places to start in understanding that whole process of formation and becoming like Jesus. Paul seems to say that intentional formation happens with the collision of three things. The collision of truth, of rhythms, and of community. That's what we see right here in our text in Colossians chapter 3. But those categories, actually, we'll see, we see them all throughout the New Testament teachings as key ingredients for discipleship to Jesus. So I want to look at those one at a time. Truth, rhythms, and community. First, truth. Look at verse 16. Paul instructs us. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. In other words, you've got to saturate yourself in the gospel. Locate yourself within the grander story of God. And here's why this is important. Because there are so many persuasive truths and truth claims permeating our culture. Ideas about what it means to be human. About where our truest identity lies. And the list goes on and on. And whether we like it or not, those ideas that we're engaging with all the time are forming the way that we think. For example, I was at a Coldplay concert on Friday night. Anyone else go to the Coldplay concert? <laughs> Cam, I know you did. Put up your hand. That's last night, but you know. You went last night. Yeah, that's true. I was already talking about it. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> We're big Coldplay fans around here, okay? They've been my favorite band since I was like 12 years old. And, and the show, was, it was so good. It was like this massive party of 50,000 Coldplay fans together in one room singing these anthems. It was beautiful. But with this lens of formation, I was recognizing the subtle ways that Chris Martin and his production team were forming the hearts and minds of the people who gathered in that arena that night with the symbols 
and the, and the flags and the lyrics and the pre-roll videos. And it's all forming the way that we interpret reality and the world for better or for worse. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to these kind of concerts or events. I will likely be there next time they come to Vancouver. But as we're engaging in these environments, and not just concerts, as we're engaging in everyday life, watching ads on YouTube, or videos scrolling on Instagram, or having a conversation with a coworker, if you don't know the story of God, like if you don't actually have a robust understanding of what is true, then you will subconsciously opt to believe in whatever the world tells you to believe simply reading from the teleprompter of our culture. And this is why learning to think well is so important because there are so many competing ideas out there, so many counter narratives that promise freedom, that promise liberation, but they never deliver. That say that your truest self, your happiest self is just around this next corner, but then you get around that next corner and you find that you're no happier than you were before and you continue to be anxious and depressed and lonely for a culture that promises freedom and liberation. Do you know that that depression and anxiety rates are at an all-time high? That doesn't sound like freedom to me. It actually sounds like just trading one jail cell for another. That's what happens when we, when we try to find our fulfillment in people and things that are incapable of filling us. This week, I, I heard a, a really helpful analogy about a $20 bill. Do you know how professionals learn to spot a counterfeit 20? The way that they spot a counterfeit 20 is by spending a lot of time with a real 20, like holding on to a $20 bill and smelling it maybe trying to rip it and seeing what the plastic feels like on the bill or crumpling it up and seeing what that feels like. The way you spot counterfeit money is by spending a lot of time intentionally examining real money, and it's the same with our faith. It's the same with the story of God. In order for us to identify counterfeit stories, then we need to spend time in the true story. We need to be people who are so rooted in Scripture, who let the message of Christ dwell in us richly, as Paul talks about so that when our faith is challenged, it doesn't crumble and fall, but it stands firmly rooted on the rock. And that's why, that's why our teaching team puts so much thought and, and prayer into the kind of things that we walk through together on Sunday mornings at our, at our churches. Because we understand that, that, that we are being formed by what's presented. These, these talks are actually forming our understanding of God. And so we wanna make sure that we're actually teaching scripture and not just sharing some moral ideas that we're unpacking God's inspired word and not just sharing five tips for how to have a better life. Like this is why we do classes and conferences as a church. Side note, I'm really excited about a class that we're offering on Tuesday nights. Did you guys talk about it already? No? Okay. But we're gonna, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna do this class starting this Tuesday night all throughout the fall, looking at these different ideas in the Western world. A lot of really beautiful ideas actually, be it freedom or kindness or equality or consent and, and a number of other things. But we're, we're looking at how those things actually flow from a Christian worldview. That before Jesus and, and the time of the church, that, that that was not values that humans embraced. These are very Christocentric ideas. Anyway, it's going to be a super helpful class, Tuesday nights at the Mariner campus or online. All that to say, the reason we do those things, the reason we, we, we preach scripture on Sundays and do classes and conferences and all sorts of events it is because we want to live out the truth of the gospel. That's also why we've been working so hard over this past few years to develop, develop like a, a robust gospel-centric curriculum for our youth and our kids. Oh my goodness. 
I cannot imagine being a teenager growing up in our current cultural moment. It is a confusing time to be a teenager. And it's especially a difficult time to be a teenager seeking to follow Jesus. We need to be praying for our kids and for our youth. Because there's this war for their minds. And to be clear, this isn't a war against flesh and blood. This is not a war against people. This is against principalities and powers in the dark age. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to be praying for our teenagers and our kids and our middle schoolers. And hey, if you're a parent in this room right now, I want you to know we are so in your corner as you seek to raise your kids to follow Jesus. We're here to journey with you in that process. But I also want to say that 90 minutes on a Thursday night for youth group is not enough to form your kids into the way of Jesus. As parents, we need to every single day be talking to our kids about culture, be talking to our kids about the narratives that are so persuasive in our culture, the ideologies counterforming our kids into the way of Jesus. And if you don't know where to start, I also want to just talk about we're, we're on December 3rd, we're going to bring in Dr. Ian Proven, who's written extensively on this topic. And uh, he's going to be doing a, uh, a forum with parents talking about this exact thing. How do we raise our kids to follow Jesus in the day and age that we find ourselves? More details to come on that. But if you're a parent, I want to strongly encourage you to check that out. Okay, enough about that. We're formed by truth. And then secondly, we are formed by rhythms, or you could say by habits, by things that we do consistently over and over and over again. Do you know that only 60% of the decisions that you make on a daily basis are conscious decisions? The other 40% of decisions are, are, are habits or muscle memory, decisions you make without even thinking about them, subconsciously. You say there are the rhythms of your life. Here's an example. I don't know if you've ever moved to a new house and after work you've accidentally driven over to your old house. Has that happened to anyone? When Jorley, my wife, and I moved from Surrey to Port Moody, there were several times where I did this where I would, I would be driving and I would show up, I would be on the, I would kind of wake up on the Portman Bridge and I'd be like, oh my gosh, where am I going right now? That was especially difficult when there were bridge tolls at the time. <laughs> But, that, but that's, that's what happens with habits. You're so used to driving home to work this certain way, the same place, over and over again, that your body just goes into autopilot, and you get in your car, and you arrive at your old address. Silly example. But I mention it to say that the things we do repetitively, day after day, these rhythms have a very formative effect on us. In verse 16 of our text, Paul the Apostle, the author, he talks about uh, that we should be intentional about our rhythms. Look at verse 16. He says, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. See, getting together on Sunday morning and singing songs like we do together, that's actually a very intentional part of our Christian formation. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but we don't just have music at the start of the service to give you time to come in from the parking lot and get in before the talk, okay? That's not why we do songs on Sunday morning. As we sing these truths over one another, as we sing about the greatness of God and who he is, as we reflect on our own sinfulness as humanity, as we talk about the cross and how Jesus has saved us and has redeemed us, all these things are, are helping us to enter into the story of God. And so singing together, it's a really important rhythm. Coming together on Sunday mornings to learn and to be encouraged by one another, as the author of Hebrews will go on to say. These are important rhythms for the Christian life. And so I just want to, to those who are in this room, I just want to applaud you and say, 
Thank you for, for being so intentional with, with time. I miss your busy schedules to prioritize coming together as the gathered people of God. That is a really intentional thing that you are doing, and it has a very formative um, place in your life. There's also several other rhythms that I think are worth mentioning. Spiritual disciplines, as, uh, as they've commonly been referred to throughout the ages, but these different formative practices that, that, that really do affect our spirituality. Things like, like Sabbath, my wife and I have, have been embracing this weekly rhythm of Sabbath for about, I think about eight or nine years now. And it has had a deeply formative effect on our spirituality. Here's what it, what it looks like really practically for us. Essentially one day out of every week, so it's Friday for us since Sundays are so busy with services and all that's going on. But one day a week we intentionally silence the voices of the world. Like we literally power down all of our devices. We put them away in a drawer. And we just spend time together as a family, a 24-hour span of time to rest and to be in worship and to just be alive to God and to creation. This is, this is one of our weekly rhythms as a family. Now we have two little girls. We have Kinsley and Harper. And, and we include them in our Sabbath practices. It's this opportunity every single week as a family for us to teach our kids about creation, for us to teach our kids about how our worth is not found in what we produce or our work, or these other things as important as it is. It's also an opportunity for us to experience gratitude together as a family. It's been an important rhythm in our life. Another one, silence and solitude, which is just a Christian-y way of talking about being alone and being quiet, okay? If you take a look at the gospel accounts at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see that this is a rhythm that Jesus actually practiced a lot. He would be out with the crowds. He'd be with, with hundreds or even thousands of people preaching or healing the sick or being at a dinner feast. He'd be with people a lot. And then he would withdraw to be alone with the Father, to a quiet place. And for me, in, in, in my life, in this current moment, there's not a lot of breaks for silence. And so for me, it looks like getting up early in the morning before the rest of my family is up, just sitting with a cup of coffee, scripture, just a time to be quiet to listen for the voice of God. Maybe you hear me talking about these kind of rhythms right now. You say, hey, I'm so glad that that works for you. <laughs> like, I'm so glad you've been able to find patterns like that that work in your life. I am not a rhythms person. And can I, can I just say this as a rebuttal though? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might not be intentional about your rhythms, but you are engaging in daily practices every single day that are forming the, the kind of person that you're becoming. For example, here's a really common morning rhythm or practice. What's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? Most people probably hit snooze a few times. And then, yeah, they, they grab their phone and they start to doom scroll, okay? Scrolling on their device, on social media or whatever. That, that's a rhythm, that first few moments in the morning. And you better believe that, that opening your phone first thing when you wake up is having a very formative effect. And how's it going for you? Is it making you more peaceful? Is it making you more uh, a non-anxious presence? Or is it kind of stirring up anxiousness and anxiety right off the top? That's a rhythm. Okay, we need to keep moving, but, but, I, but I just want to ask this simple question. Is there a rhythm or a habit or a practice, whatever you want to call it, is there a rhythm in your life that might need to be replaced for the purpose of your own formation? Maybe it's replacing scrolling with, with silence for just a few moments, coming aware to the presence of God. Maybe it's refusing to touch your phone before 9 a.m. Is that crazy? <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe it's making church on Sunday mornings a, a, a regular rhythm, not just once a month or every six weeks or when it's convenient, but every single week saying, no, I'm going to prioritize this because I want to be formed into Jesus' image. We are being shaped by our rhythms. Okay, lastly, I want to talk about community. We are being formed by the people we surround ourselves with. I want you to notice all the communal language that shows up in Colossians chapter 3. It's not as God's chosen person. It's as God's chosen people. Clothe yourselves, he says. Forgive one another. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And it's not just in this text that we see all these references to doing life together. It shows up dozens and dozens of times throughout the New Testament. There's all these references to one another through the New Testament. Here's the bottom line. In order to grow in your faith, you need a friend. There's a guy named John Newton. He was, uh, he was alive in the 18th century, and he actually was a, a former slave trader. He came to faith in Jesus, but, but after he came to faith, he actually returned to the slave ships. It was this really dark period of his life. Because even though he had given his life to Jesus, he found himself doing a lot of the horrible things that he was doing before. It wasn't until he entered into a relationship with a guy named Alexander Clooney that his life actually started to change as Clooney started to challenge him, like, hey, what are you doing with this? Challenged him, encouraged him, and pushed him to surrender all areas of his life to Jesus. And I, I have seen that to be true in my own life as well. Nothing forms us, has the, the formative power like our community does. And parents, you would, you would know this, that the, that the people that your kids hang out with has, has a really important effect on the people that they become. Like when they're hanging out with a good crowd, it often produces good things in their life. When they're hanging out with a, a not-so-good crowd, <laughs> it also has very formative effects, damaging effects on the kind of people that they're becoming. It's not only kids and youth that that's true of. It's also true of all of us, that we're a product of the people we hang out with. So let me ask you this. How are your friendships forming you? Like, are the people that you're surrounding yourself with, are they bringing out the best in you? Are they pointing you to Jesus or are they driving you away from him? Or maybe another question. Do you have friendships? Do you have friends at all? And I don't mean people that you see at work at the water cooler or people that you talk to on Instagram or play video games with online. Are there people who really know you and not a projection of yourself when you're all cleaned up and at your best, but the real you, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between? because we will not make it in life. We won't make it in the Christian faith if we don't have friends. And this is why we place such a high value on community as a church. This is why we, we have coffee and snacks and bouncy castles and all the rest almost every week after church. That's why we're doing the, the community lunch after service this week, to, time to connect. People often ask us, well, you, or they say, you know, you spend a lot of money on food as a church. <laughs> And it's true. That's on purpose because food creates this vehicle for us to be together and to be in community with one another and to grow as followers of Jesus. That's why we do those things. That's also why we do community groups. Who here is in a community group? Yeah, lots of you. It's amazing. Community groups, you might not know this if you're new, but community groups are actually the lifeblood of our church. So much life-on-life -life relationship and discipleship happens in the context of community groups. And, uh, and, and essentially what that looks like is it's, it's groups of, I don't know, 10 to 15, some bigger, some smaller groups who meet in homes, oftentimes around food or meal, and, and they just follow Jesus together. 
They, they, follow, uh, they follow Jesus through eating together and through studying scripture together and through going through the ups and the downs of life together in community. This is why we do these, these sorts of things. This is, this is why we gather in these sorts of ways. Jorley, my wife and I, we started a community group, I think two summers ago, really because I felt like if I was gonna be calling our church to community, I better be in a community group myself. And uh, so I got in one quite reluctantly, actually. To go, ah, I guess this is probably good for us, but we're pretty busy and we know a lot of people already. Um, but it has been so life-giving for us to just have this group of friends who gather together in our little apartment in Port Moody every Wednesday night, and we're just, we're just there for each other. We just walk together and journey with one another and share things we're excited about, share things we're struggling with. I recognize that as I, as I talk about community, there's probably others here some people probably get excited. There's probably other, others here who actually get quite kind of scared or anxious or nervous. Maybe you're wondering, like, is it worth it? Is it worth the effort that would go into it to build relationships with people I trust? Or am I just opening myself up to being hurt by other people? Because I've tried to be in relationships before and I've ended really hurt. Is it worth it? Is it worth the effort? Am I just going to get hurt? I think the, the answer to those questions is, is maybe a yes all around. Getting close to people can be scary and it can be messy because we're all flawed human beings just trying to journey in life together, but it is so worth it because we were made for a relationship. We were made for a relationship with God and with one another, and the reality is you might get hurt. The possible reality of, of getting hurt, it actually even comes up in our teaching text where Paul talks about the need to forgive one another. <laughs> You don't have to forgive people if you're not hurt by people. So that will happen from time to time. But here's the truth. We both hurt and we heal in the context of community. We can absolutely get hurt by people. And that's hard and that sucks and I've been there. But we also heal in the presence of community. When we open ourselves up and allow ourselves to be vulnerable despite all the risks, God seems to use community along with all of its messes and dysfunctions. And if you look across the New Testament, the church was anything but perfect. It was messy and dysfunctional and all the rest. But he seems to use it to make us like Jesus. Okay, as we close, let me just summarize. If we want to be formed into the image of Jesus, it happens in the collision of, of three things. Truth, rhythms, and community. And that space in the middle where all three circles overlap, that's where we seek to be as a church where we're experiencing truth, we're being storied by the gospel and what is true. We're embracing intentional rhythms in our life to follow Jesus. And we're, in commu- we're doing the context of friendship. That's where we want to be. That sweet spot right in the middle. Okay, here's how I want to close. I'm actually going to invite up Pastor Cam in just a second here because this week we are kicking off many different community groups across our, our entire church. Hundreds of people will gather in the Tri-Cities, but especially even at this campus, there's, I think, seven groups this fall who are going to be meeting in homes throughout the week um, to follow Jesus together. And so we want to we spend some time just praying for those groups. So much of this happens in the context of community groups, happens in homes. And so we want to pray for, for one, for all the people who will be part of those groups, that God would use community groups to form us and to shape us. And we also want to pray for all the leaders who are going to be leading and shepherding. That is a big role to create space, to open up your time and your space, um, to host a group. And so we want to pray for those leaders as they seek to step into that call and follow Jesus in that way. Okay? I'm going to invite you up, Cam, to, to lead us through that moment.
Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.